you give a lot of information about everybody. Uh, Uncle Felix, of course, Sydney Greenstreet. I love him. Oh, 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 Merry Christmas. He's so cute. And Uncle Felix. And of course, that wonderful woman. Uh, what is her name? Uh, Una O'Connor. Oh, can she do anything wrong? I mean, I love her. Her character is fabulous. Well, that's that's the thing about movies from this era, too. You know, the, I mean, the all these great supporting cast, character actors, movie after movie is filled with them. And even if they didn't become major stars, the audiences of the day knew and recognized and loved seeing them in these movies. And that is that is one of the biggest differences and tragedies. Yes. The difference agree. between then and now in agree. Hollywood. You don't. The, the loss of character actors who were under contract, assigned to 20 movies a year, and they became recognizable and familiar to audiences and really added a tremendous amount. Yeah, I know their names. And I love that I know their names because their names deserve to be known. They're wonderful. And they go from thing to thing to thing. Okay, let's talk about a biggie. It's a Wonderful Life. Talk about Dark. A man on the verge of suicide is given the chance to see what the world would have been like had he never been born. That's right. And we've all seen it and loved it, despite <laughs> despite that dark uh, description. And it does, you know, it, it does, does turn into a nightmare before the end. Um, but, you know, it... Um, it wouldn't be as pronounced if we didn't have the the, the hardship <laughs> emotionally along the way. Um, it's just the it's a perfect movie, I, I think, and it gives a complete emotional experience. Yeah, and in the darkness, you know, he scares the heck out of his kids because if, we all know what happens because we've all seen it, you know, because of Mister Potter being a monster and poor Uncle Billy, you know, he gets the big blame. But when George goes home, he ha- he flips out scares his kids and um then he goes to mr potter and and he just goes to the lowest of ebbs the lowest and i think a lot of people go to low ebbs because and especially this year it's been a pretty uh rough time for everybody and george just uh goes there and i think that scene in martinis james uh james stewart was amazing yeah, and um, this what's interesting is that James Stewart, throughout his career, sort of had this exploration of the dark side of his soul going on. I mean, this, he had given us a glimpse of it in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. In the years after It's a Wonderful Life, he would explore this dark side even more in the westerns he made with Anthony Mann, uh, like Winchester 73 and The Naked Spur. He was a bad guy? And, well, he wasn't the bad guy, but he was the he was the emotionally tortured hero, oh. and he would get very obsessive and unhinged. And then you have the ultimate version of this in Vertigo, um, which you I don't think Stewart could have done Vertigo if he hadn't done all these other movies where he was exploring this aspect of of himself. So it's a really interesting sort of through line to his career. You know what I think too, Jeremy. You know, he I talked to. Um, uh, the author of his book where uh, Jimmy was the uh, in the Air Force, in the war, and oh my God, he was in the bombing planes and things like that. And he came back with a totally different attitude than he had when he came. So 
he, you know, at first he didn't want to do It's a Wonderful Life because he's like, you know, I've seen this. That's right. If you read about what he and all the people that died and what happened, it's just like, how did he, how did these guys make it? And I think that just added more to the depth of him because he had really seen rock bottom of hell. Oh, yeah, absolutely true. Um, and Capra as well had, you know, made documentaries during World War II. So he also had had a taste of the horrors of of those years. And um, I think both of the artists, you know, Capra and Stewart, applied that to the film, consciously or not. But right. it comes through because, the, the, uh, you know, the horror aspects of the film are pretty, are pretty strong. Yes. And uh, uh, like with Vertigo, uh, he was a real creep. You know, really, if you want to think about it. You know, I talked about a guy who does all the extras for um, Hitchcock. Oh, he's so wonderful. He directed the Natalie Wood biography on HBO. I can't think of his name. He's such a wonderful guy. And he does all the Hitchcock stuff and won awards for making documentaries on Hitchcock and writing books. And he said in Vertigo, he sees it sort of as... Um, that he's in, he is in, uh, purgatory, James Stewart, because do we ever see someone come and rescue him after the guy falls? I don't know. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a reading of that film. I've, I've heard that before. Yeah, um, that was the first so. reading I heard it when he mentioned it, but it was an interesting <laughs> film nonetheless. And I mean, his job. He did a beautiful job as a man who had all these dreams, all these dreams. And, you know, he just thought he was a whole failure. And then, of course, in the end, he sees he was not. Yeah. And that's that's the thing that all of us can relate to yes. in some way, to some degree mm-hmm. in, our, in our lives. And um, I think that's why this film is so touching for people and people latch onto it and can relate to it so well, even all these years later. I agree. Um, it, it, the road not taken, you know, we can all think about that kind of thing, but, but who knows what it would have been. And, and it just shows you that just because you didn't do all these great things, you did greater things, even though you didn't think they were, they were much greater right. things. So it's a beautiful story. And of course our Clarence gets his wings. Who doesn't love that angel? He is the cutest thing ever. I love him. <laughs> he yeah. gets his ring, ring-a-ding-ding. Okay, I want to talk about another uh, movie, Holiday Affair. This one, I mean, there's a lot in there. Um, Holiday Affair, a war widow with a young son is courted by two men, and it stars Robert Mitchum, Growl, um, Janet Lee, poor Wendell Corey, <laughs> Gordon Gebert as a son, and... Um, it's really why'd you choose this one? Well, um this well, it's a Christmas movie which should be better known and it's an unusual one in that it's it's sort of a it's it's sort of a serious one in, in a sense because there's some trauma going on in, in these characters. It's yes. a little bit like I'll be seeing you in that sense. Um uh although it does also have some lightness to it and to see Mitchum embracing the lighter side of things is is really a joy i think um 
And, you know, it's funny when you think when when you think about Wendell Corey and Robert Mitchum being the two choices for Janet Lee. I mean, yes. there's no surprise who she's going to end up of with. Of course. course not. Uh, <laughs> but I felt bad for you can't help but feeling bad for loyal Wendell Corey, who's there for two years. She, he's a big time district attorney or lawyer. And he never she never asks him or says anything about his work. And she's just sort of living in the past. Um calling her son Mr. Guinness and she's Mrs. Guinness and oh doesn't he look just like his father and she fixes his hair like that and it's really creepy and then she meets this hunka hunka burn in love Robert Mitchum and um gee what is a gal to do <laughs> you know what's what's it's interesting because as much as I like this movie in and of itself if it if it didn't have a Christmas setting an element to it I don't know that we would know it at all today because it has gotten a little bit of a cult following in the last, you know, 10 years or yes. so because it's been discovered as a Christmas movie. And it's if on TCM. That, I think it would, right. And if not for that, I think it would still be very unknown, um, even though it has this great cast. And, you know, Robert Mitchum is uh, it's such an unusual turn for him. So Christmas has sort of, you know, kept this movie alive in, in a way that is really delightful. Um, and Janet Lee to see her, um, you know, so young and so, you know, at the beginning of, of her career. Is so also, beautiful, you know, before she, yeah, really, she really dyed is. her hair really blonde, she was absolutely breathtaking. And, um, the little boy, you know, some people get annoyed by him, but I thought he was a wonderful actor, Gordon Gebert. And I also saw him do an interview on TCM years and years ago, but I thought he was adorable yeah. and a really good actor. And he was so mean. Look what he did to poor Wendell, too. <laughs> yeah. And it's again, it's the idea of a, a broken family that comes together. And Christmas helps that to happen. This, again, the family coming together. It's such a common element in Christmas movies. Yes. Even so. though um, it's unknown. She goes with a guy who doesn't have a job doesn't have a place to live. They have no money. She just throws caution to the wind, says, see ya, Wendell, and I'm out of here. California, here we come. But I enjoy the movie. I do. I watch it, and I really do enjoy it. And, of course, I just so love Robert Mitchum. What can I say? I think that doesn't hurt. You know what I mean? The, the well, Robert Mitchum part. Yes. He's gorgeous. <laughs> okay. Why don't we talk about this one? You wanted to talk about it. And you know what? I have never seen it, and I am going to try to find it today. The Holly and the Ivy. Ah, uh, yes, I'm very fond of this film. In fact, if you if you find the the Blu-ray or DVD uh, that was put out by Kino recently, you'll find a commentary track that I recorded. Oh, cool! Um, for that disc, so you can learn a lot more about it. Um, but this is a film. It's been a pretty obscure in America for years. It's a British film. 1952 was released a couple years later here and has a great cast of British talent. Uh, Ralph Richardson, Celia Johnson, Margaret Layton, Denham Elliott, uh, very early in his career, Hugh Williams. And it's based on a play. I don't feel like it's too theatrical as a film. And it's basically, uh, you know, about a, fa a family in a rural town in England in the late forties gathering over Christmas. The father is a, a parson, a local parson. And he, sort of it's about family dysfunction and disconnection and none of the adult children think that um their father their mother has died recently think that their father really understands their lives and their problems he feels the same thing and it's really just about all these family members trying to connect 
And it's the only Christmas movie I know of that really delves into the dynamic between grown-up children and their parents trying to live, trying to function together. And so it's very relatable and realistic, I think, for that reason. It's a really interesting film. Worth, worth a look. I am definitely going to look that one up. You know what I, I want to talk about? Is our favorite Scrooge, because this is definitely my favorite Christmas movie. Um, it is in 1951. A miserly man is taught the meaning of Christmas by three spirits who visit him on Christmas Eve, as we all know this. The actor is the one who makes it spectacular. The actor is Alastair Sim. And there was, wasn't there? There was controversy about him playing the role of Scrooge. Very much so. Uh, he was known and still is known mainly as a comic actor of British films, but he already was known as such before this film was made. And I put this in my book that the um, one of the executives at the production company that made this film, um, before the movie was even, before it even came out, months before, he wrote this article for a, a local newspaper, a magazine, defending his choice of casting Alistair Sim which is kind of remarkable <laughs> when you think about it. it just the shows people how are really, he felt the need to do that. Yes. People were, people were angry that Sim had been cast. They didn't um, think he could pull it off. He was amazing. Right. And they hadn't seen the movie yet, of course. And, you know, they were proven wrong because he's, he's great in it. Um, so yeah, it's very interesting. And, um, it's funny, I guess the American audience probably know Alistair Sim best from this film, but, British audiences and maybe more all-around all cinephiles who watch a lot of classic movies definitely know Alistair Sin from his comedies. Um, and primarily. also, uh, he was in a Hitchcock film, Stage Fright, where he played... That's right. I loved him in that. He, You know, I wanted to marry him. I didn't care. I thought he was really cute. I don't get the bald head, <laughs> schmald head with that foo-foo out there. What a cutie. He was a riot. He was charming. And he... Just because I saw him in that or I see him in a comedy film doesn't take away my – I think it even gives me more of a deep appreciation for his artistic talent. You know, it's easy to it, – you know, he just made that character. He was that character. He – his his um, epiphany was amazing. And I love the whole story of this, the whole optimism. No matter how old you are, you can change. People get this thing stuck in their head. I can't change. I can't change. Yes, you can change. It's up to you. That's right. And, and I love it. And and it's really, you know, um, it's Dickens that we have to thank, mm -hmm. I think, for introducing the idea of, of transformation in Christmas story characters. Christmas movie, any times a Christmas story, there's almost always a transformation in a character, a Scrooge-like transformation. Yes. And it goes back to Dickens, and it's never gone out of style. And, and it is beautiful. Um, and it... it yeah. And, and when you see different Christmas movies, the ones I write about in the book, you see it in all kinds of different variations. The main characters, minor characters, comedies, dramas, there's so often a kind of transformation, and it's because of that storytelling trope. Uh, it's really interesting. It goes back to Dickens, and um, and there have been so many versions of A Christmas Carol. Uh, and Even uh, really cartoons. Think. And and Alistair Sims did one in cartoon in the That's 70s, right. I believe. I never he heard did. it, but I think I read that in your book. <laughs> I think I learned and, that in your book. 
And I also, I'm very fond of the Muppet Christmas Carol of Michael I've Caine never seen that one. Never. Take a look. I think you'll be surprised at how faithful it is. And Good. How it's not like goofy. It it's not like, oh, no, because this is a very serious story. He is a really no, rotten, it, horrible person. Michael Caine plays it straight and lets the Muppets ah, do their thing around oh, him. That's oh, he key. plays Scrooge. Oh, I'll have to check that out. No, yep. no. A lot of people, because they hate black and white, and I hate that, <laughs> you know, because they're, so, they're missing out on so many wonderful films, um, think that the George C. Scott was the best. And I'm like, honey, I, you know, check out 1951. <laughs> And then, you know, they do have a colorized version for you people who have an aversion. Uh, nobody listened to this show has an aversion to black and white, so I don't have to tell you that. Good. But Good. if any of your friends <laughs> will not watch the 1951 because it doesn't have a colorized version, guess what? It does. So maybe you can hook some of your friends up with this because it's colorized, but it's a fabulous film. And you know what? You have got so many fabulous films. I think we talked probably about eight of them. Anything mm-hmm. else you want to talk? Do you want to talk another or you good? Um, I I could do another if you want. I mean, uh, how about I, Bishop's I, Wife? You know, That's kind of a good sure. backstory. Bishop's Wife um, is. Another favorite, and um, the the famous thing about this film is that David Niven and Cary Grant originally started making the movie playing each other's roles, and uh, after a few weeks, it wasn't working, and uh, Samuel Goldwyn shut the production, had a new director, uh, had a lot of the sets rebuilt, and switched the casting of Niven and Grant. I mean, it's kind of unheard of. To, to do something like that well into the production of a movie. But Goldwyn was known for being very exacting and perfectionistic as a producer, uh, often micromanaging. But his movies tend to look really beautiful and polished and have great detail, and even to the level of props on the set. Yes. And um, very meticulous. So you really got to hand it to him because the end result was really charming and has stood the test of time. It has. And you know what? I just don't know why Carrie wanted to be the bishop because I think the angel was the best part. Well, one of the, you yeah, know, I, and, and I adore, I adore David Niven, um, and he could be a charming Dudley as well. But I just am glad that they chose not to do it that way. It's interesting. Um, am I allowed to give a spoiler on this sure. uh, show? I think everybody's okay, seen because, it about a million times. Yeah. Okay, because this has to do with the ending. Because in the end, Cary Grant is the angel, goes off, and um, David Niven and Loretta Young remain. And, of course, she has no memory. Uh, their, their memory of him is, is wiped out. Right. But they remain, and they'll, they'll be happy together. And the audience is left with a bit of a twinge that Loretta Young and Cary Grant you know, didn't that they weren't able to to, to be together. Right. Um, if the, if they had played the opposite roles, it's interesting because she would have ended up with Cary Grant, and I think we would have felt a little more positivity about that and less poignance about the fact that David Niven as the angel would have faded away. We would have felt a little maybe more satisfied that she ended up with the the movie star that that we prefer. Um, so it's kind of interesting to think about how the the tone of things, the emphasis would have, could have been shifted a bit, and the movie would have been 
quite a bit different. So um, it's, I don't think it's fair to imagine the film with them in each other's roles, but with the emphasis being exactly the same as we know it. You, I you get know what it. I mean? Yeah, of course, so, because Carrie, yeah, so, I guess that was probably Carrie's part. He didn't want to get left. <laughs> he wanted the girl. I, I, he has to be imagine, that kind of person. Yeah. I think you're right. I think you're right. Because he was very big on that kind of stuff. Um, but it it is a nice movie. It's so cute how the women, you know, start wearing flowers in their hair. <laughs> and look cute for him. And... Um, and, and Monty Woolley makes a return appearance. Oh, I love him in character. this. Oh, I love him in this. I think he's adorable. And I and Gladys Cooper as the old screw jet. And um it's a wonderful cast. <laughs> Can I give you a little tidbit? Don't be mad. It's it's it, this is something that the little girl who played the daughter of Loretta Young and David Niven, and she was also Zuzu, and it's a wonderful life. But yeah, what she remembers grind. about Loretta Young, okay, don't get mad at me, people. This is Zuzu. She said Loretta Young had bad breath. <laughs> okay. Oh, it's obscure, but you know, you know, I heard Loretta could be a little mean to kids <laughs> on the set. I love her, but she she used to pinch their ears and things like that. So perhaps she pinched her ear and got a whiff. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> oh dear, <laughs> that's me. Okay, but it is a lovely movie, and it's charming, and it's uh, you know, actually because you know David Niven is, is so char- he's so charming as well. He's not a hunk like Carrie, but he's such a charming man. Um, it could have worked, but uh, I, I like what I see. You know. Me too. And it's when you think of a Cary Grant wanders through the movie charming everyone that he comes across, um, including the um, housekeeper, of course, played by Elsa Lanchester. With her flower and her hair. Yes. And again, if it were David, if it were David Niven wandering around as the angel doing all these things, I don't think we would have this. We wouldn't have had that beat no. of uh, the, the swooning from Elsa Lanchester because it wouldn't or have made sense. So it would have been even the movie. swooning from the cab driver Sylvester, or that you know that he loved yeah, him yeah. and the two so much, and going to that that place where they dine, where she and um, the the pre the preacher the bishop used to dine, and they run into those ladies who are gossiping, and he brings them over the table. You know that wouldn't have worked either if it was David Niven. So yeah, very um, true. I love the movie. I do enjoy it, and I have it on my DVR. Darn it all! So I will definitely watch it before Christmas. So what do you oh, think, that, there, kiddo? What do you have to say? I, I was going to say this reminds me that um, all of these movies I think are going to be on TCM during this month of December of 2020. So um, you know you can certainly find many of them there and follow along because i'm telling you i love this book i love christmas movies i love the ones you chose what about angel on 10th avenue did you happen to grab a look at that one? Ooh, um no i think i've seen good that thing. before but many yes, years ago yes margaret that... o'brien horrifying yeah good thing okay <laughs> good that's choice. right oh i see there fifth avenue right the guy steals the guy the hobo Yes, um, it, it happened on Fifth Avenue. Um, that was the movie that um, I would have included if I'd had 31. That was the last one that I yeah. had to reluctantly cut. 
but they, uh, but they, they really had some. Had, they had a lot of good uh, stars in that. Yeah, no, it, it's 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 not a it's a little long. I think a little meandering. It's not. I, I don't like it as much as some other people, but I definitely would have included it if there had been room. It just it was a little too similar to other movies I had yeah. in the same time period, and um, we needed room for a, a more modern film. I think. Yes, I think that was what it came down to. So you guys check that out too, because I'm sure it'll be on TCM. Um, any other thing you want to yak about, or you want to? Um, um, what if you want to do another? We can. I mean, um, of course, cool. there are a lot of modern. More modern films in the sure. Book, let's go into those. the more modern ones, which I'm not a great fan of the modern ones. Hey, what about um, you chose? And we don't have to talk about the movie, The Three Godfathers. Did you? You didn't like the one with um, Chester Morris and the other? Wasn't uh, what's his name in it too? Walter Brennan, Three Godfathers. Um. There have been several versions of Three Godfathers. Um, I don't off the top of my mind remember who was in which one. Yeah, that um, one was pretty good. But, I liked it. But this, but as I recall, this one is the only one that really uses Christmas um, as a storytelling device. And so I, that's why I think it qualifies as a Christmas movie. And it's a rare Western that does so. So it's interesting. I like it very it much. Um, okay, how modern do you want to get? Do you want to get past the apartment or yeah well look it, this is totally up to you it's your program but if you want to do one or two just to give a sense that the book goes okay up to the how about christmas 90s, story 2000s. sure i love that movie and i love the kid's name is ralphie my kitty cat now de- departed was ralphie okay. <laughs> and i would love I mean, to have seen him in that pink bunny suit I mean, a, a Christmas story is something that became so popular long after the fact. Long, and like It's a Wonderful Life, actually. Neither yes. was particularly successful when they came out, but they became favorites thanks to um, repeat television airings in later years. And what can I say? A Christmas story is something that touches audiences every year. I think even if – I think it's a movie people love even if – I wouldn't really call it great cinema, but – there's something about it, about the tension between young and old, reality, nostalgia. It's I, the fact that it's told from the perspective of an adult looking back on childhood, and it, it's told with the the feel of a child. Oh my god, it's so wonderful! I haven't um, seen it is, for years, and I I hadn't seen it at all. And I don't. Th- I think the first time I saw it was five years ago. Loved it. Mm-hmm. It's fabulous. Yeah, it's um, uh, it's funny. I don't really even know what to add because I feel like everyone probably listening has already seen it, and and, and it's so <laughs> funny. Even more about it than I. It but is so funny you know, and cute, and the, you know you're going to shoot your eye out. <laughs> the kid getting his tongue stuck on the thing. It just I wasn't born in that era, but it just is so cute and nostalgic and, and adorable. It's, it's com- it's completely constructed around the the Christmas holiday in terms of the the element that drives the story. You know, he wants that air rifle, right, for, for Christmas. Right. That's the through line. And it's also worth noting that it's set in the 40s. And if you remember... You I know, thought it was set in the 50s. Movies. Boy, am I wrong. 
you know, <laughs> we we um, we talked about all these movies that were made in the forties right. and how the war had affected Christmas movies, and so it's it's pretty interesting that here this movie made in the eighties um, that became a big Christmas time favorite also uses that time that same time frame. Um, I don't know. It's uh, it just shows the the power of of that era in terms of how it connects to Christmas time. And it was just how Hollywood did so. And they did a fabulous job of a family of him wanting the special thing, him getting kicked down by Santa Claus. Okay, now I'm going to ask you this because a lot of people think this is a Christmas movie, and <laughs> I won't watch it this year. Die Hard, a star, a New York cop. Battles terrorists who have seized the Los Angeles skyscraper and taken hostages. And it stars Bruce Willis and the wonderful, uh, oh, Alexander Goodenough was in that as well. Alan Rickman is fabulous. And Bonnie Bedelia. His first film. Yeah, is it? Alan Rickman's first film? Yes, it is. He was he was great in that. And then Bonnie Bedelia asks his estranged wife he's trying to save. And it is, I guess, a Christmas party, right? It's a Christmas party, and it uh, it begins, as I say in my book, as a very common Christmas time story, which is a family trying to reconcile. In mm-hmm. this case, the family is simply uh, Bruce Willis and Bonnie Bedelia, so a strange husband and wife. And that is what the movie is about until the terrorists <laughs> attack, and he has to go into action mode and cop mode and save everybody. And in the end, then, you know, finish reuniting with Bonnie Bedelia. So it is definitely a Christmas time story from that angle. And also throughout the film, the director, John McTiernan, finds these um, action movie variations on common Christmas time tropes. And I don't mean that to sound so overly intellectual, but there are all kinds of elves from music to um, the, you know, the office paper at the end that looks like snow falling to, um, the fact that when the terrorists finally break into the vault and we hear Ode to Joy, it's like they just opened this incredibly big Christmas present. I mean, there are, there are all these Christmas elements that are just sort of transposed to an eighties action movie. And it is a joyful action movie. This is, it, it really is. It's not, yes, they're shooting, there's bloodletting, there's killing, there's dying, but not all of those things are always gritty and stomach churning. Sometimes they're, you know, entertaining and delightful, whether it's a James Bond movie or in this case, Die Hard. And um, it's just, it's a joyful action movie that uses Christmas. Was that Bruce Willis's first action film while he was doing Moonlighting? Oh, yes. This is very similar to Alistair Sim being cast in A Christmas Carol. No one thought Bruce Willis could do a movie like this. He was known for moonlighting. He was known as a television sort of romantic comedy, you know, wise, wise guy, you know, like wise guy. And it was, you know, I remember, you know, people were raising their eyebrows that Bruce Willis was headlining this huge action movie. Uh, But he, um, he proved them wrong. I mean, that's what he's now known as. Yes. And he's done many of them. And I, um, you know, I, I think I saw it, in probably about 20 years ago. Um, and I liked it, but I don't think I'd watch it again for Christmas. That's just me because I'm a chick and it, you know, whatever. It, it's not actually, it's like, you know, t- totally innocent compared to the stuff that goes on now in, in movies, you know. But um, 
It is a Christmas movie. I did like it very much, and I thought he did a fabulous job. He really did. Yeah. Look, I, I'm someone who dislikes variety. And, you know, I, I it's why I like The Man Who Comes to Dinner for its irreverence. I like Gremlins for the sure. same reason. Die Hard does. It's just nice to have a, a, a variety. And I agree uh, with you. Because a lot yeah. of people believe that, too. And no, I like that movie. It's just not one that I would use as an annual favorite. But I do like that movie, and I should probably watch it again. And I, I liked it very much. And I remember... Uh, seeing it and liking it. So, and then, you know, you have The Nightmare Before Christmas. You have The Little... Why did you choose um, Little Women with Susan Sarandon and Kristen Dunst and the others rather than um, the first one with uh, Catherine and the second one with June Allison? Because, um, well, first of all, the novel... um, by uh, Louisa May Alcott is set around Christmas, as mm-hmm. is the the movie. And the, this movie was sold to the studio. But it got a green light because it was proposed as a Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. It used it was opened at the season, used it in the advertising. But most importantly, the movie itself does really use Christmas again as a way to represent a family unit, mm-hmm. and it um, the 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 feeling. The feelings that surround the Christmas season come through to the audience. They're, they, the movie tries very consciously to do that, and it definitely adds to the nostalgia and to the the, the, the idea of the importance of family that drives Little Women as a, as a story. Um, it just uses Christmas time that way very overtly, more than the other versions that I've you seen. You think so? Um, the... I do think so. Um, I mean, Christmas is in the others because it's, again, it's part of the story. But I just feel this one uses it the most as a Christmas movie. They have a really good cast. And I knew Trini Alvarado. She's a lovely woman. She quit acting and she has a bunch of kids. And she's very nice. She was also, she played uh, Bette Midler's daughter in the remake of Stella Dallas as Stella. So, yes, that's just my little tidbit here. Um, and yeah. Mary Wicks, her last screen appearance, Mary Wicks, who started in The Man Who Came to Dinner yeah. and also had a role in White Christmas. So, And she played Aunt March. That's right. Yes. Yeah, so you did a wonderful book. And I have to say, I enjoy it. And I want to talk to my people who, who go to my, you know, my Facebook page because I write tidbits, put pictures there. I get this thing, you know, I... Generally at the end of the year, because I I read the people's books when they come on my show, so I know what I'm talking about. And hence, I get really um, sore, bad eyes, and I need to take a break. So I took a break for two weeks. But um, that's why I haven't been there. And But thank you for being here and listening to me. And I, Jeremy, I love your book. Um, like I said, it's great for references and, and it's something to leave to the family, you know, that they can look on and share with their children and check out different movies that maybe they don't see to see, no offense, Hallmark, but real movies that have pathos and real, you know, it's funny to say, but these movies are more real than the movies made in 2020 on, on, um, mm-hmm on the Hallmark channel. Don't sue me, Hallmark. I told you I liked those movies when I was made to watch them. (laughs) But uh, your book is fabulous. I love it. 
And I like, love you. And thank you, Sloane, for getting Jeremy for me. She's a darling. I love my Sloane. And you're going to come back with us. Yes. Okay. Yes, we'll I hope do. you will. Because in, I, in the new year, yes, yeah. for to talk about your essentials, he wrote essentials one, and I read in all these reviews. They said, um, "Waiting for the sequel." Well, kids, you got it. So we're going to talk about those <laughs> when he comes back, and I'm very thrilled, and I want to thank you once again. Jeremy Arnold, this is a TCM. You can get it on TCM. You can get it really anywhere, right? You can get it on Amazon. Wherever books are sold. Right. You can get Christmas in the Movies, 30 Classics to Celebrate the Season by Mr. Jeremy Arnold. It's a great book, lots of behind-the-scenes stuff. We, you know, Tons of movies we didn't talk about. And um, just fun. And well, like, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. It's always fun to talk Christmas movies, and um, I hope everyone has a wonderful and joyous holiday season. Me too. And thank you so much, Jeremy, because your book gives people a little of that. You know what I mean? Uh, and that's something nice. You. you are welcome. Well, thank you. Okay. <laughs> much appreciated. You are welcome. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Hey, thank you, Netherlands. I'm number 26 in arts and entertainment there. Who knew? <laughs> I'm th- thank you. And thank you, everybody. And thank you, Jeremy, most of all. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Stories of Tinseltown. They're not all-